The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Good morning, church. Today's scripture reading is coming from the book of Acts, book 10, or chapter 10, verses 30 through 48. You can follow along on the screen or in the Bibles around your chairs. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send, therefore, to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all in the presence, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. This is the reading of God's word. So we're working through the book of Acts. We've been in here since the beginning of the summer. And the section that we're in, uh, Acts chapter 10, and last week we're in chapter 9, is really a section that's talking about conversion, what it is and how it happens. Now, uh, 
we talked about it last week, but in case you weren't here, or in case you're not on, on board yet, when we say conversion, what we're saying is it, conversion is not simply deciding to change religions or to change churches. Conversion, the idea of Christian conversion, is what we call the new birth. It's the payoff of what Jesus promised or talked about whenever he talked to Nicodemus. And, and Nicodemus said, uh, he, he came to Jesus and he asked him, how do I find eternal life? And he said, this is how you find eternal life. You must be born again. To have, that the idea is that we as people by nature and by choice are sinners against God and by nature and by choice are separated from him. And the Bible describes us as left to ourselves, we are dead in our trespasses and sins apart from him. And so for in order for us to find salvation, the, the hope that we're all looking for in all of our lives, we're all looking for salvation, whether you realize it or not, every... Uh, <laughs> You, all of us have some great goal in life that is drawing us forward, that, that weaves to, that sings to us the promise that if you get this, if you cross this finish line, then you'll receive a sense of rightness. You'll be saved. You'll be okay. You'll find the happiness and joy that we all long for. And it's okay to long for joy. It's okay to long for happiness. The problem is we just settle for lesser happiness and lesser joys that can never deliver because you were made by God and for him and that's why we need to be reborn we need to be converted we need to be born again from above we need to have him, him breathe the breath of life into our souls where there once was only deadness and rebellion against him to cause us to want what we were made for and that's to worship him with all of our lives so last week, we looked in chapter 9 where we saw the conversion of Saul, who would later become Paul. And this week, we're looking at the conversion of a guy named Cornelius. I'm assuming that was a cooler name at the time, but now if you have the name Cornelius, it's probably not something you're very proud of. But I'm assuming it was a cool thing at the time. He didn't get his name changed. Saul did. He became Paul, which is probably a better name than Saul. Uh, Cornelius didn't get it. He was stuck with Cornelius, as far as we know after conversion. But we see these two stories, they give us a great example of two things. Number one, that no matter your background, no matter all of our backgrounds, we need, we have a great need of salvation. No matter whatever your background is, you have a great need for salvation. Saul was a man of outstanding pedigree. He was a pure-blood Jew, a, cho a chosen people of God. He was a keeper of the law, the Old Testament law that God gave. He said, I kept it to the T. Not only did he keep the law, but he was a member of a group called the Pharisees who were the, like, they were like the next level up keepers of the law. He said, that's the people I was a part of. And not only was that, but inside the Pharisee, the Pharisees, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was nailing it. I had, he had the pedigree. He had the actions. He had everything laid out. He thought he was okay as he was traveling from Jerusalem to Damascus when God met him and said, Saul, you are not okay. And he was converted. Now Cornelius had a very different background. Cornelius was, was called a Gentile. That means he was not a part of the, the 
physical, ethnic people of God that God had put his promise upon Abraham and it had passed down from father to son, father to son, father to son, all the way down. He was outside of that covenant promise of God. And not only that, but he was a, a leader in the Roman army. He was a centurion. And so what that meant to the Jews, not only was he a Gentile, which literally the Jews would call the Gentiles or the non-Jews, they would refer to them as dogs. They were outside of the covenant of God. So not only was he considered a dog by the Jews, but he was a Roman centurion, and the Romans represented uh, outside Gentile uh, control and oppression of God's people and control of God's land and the actual physical nation of Israel. By nature, a Jew would have hated Cornelius. He represented everything bad and distasteful and evil to them. He was a non-Jew, and he was a member of the ruling country that had overtaken them and was ruling over them. Paul had a great pedigree and great actions to his credit. Cornelius was a dog Gentile outside of the covenant of God, a member of the ruling country over Israel. And here's what we see in both cases. They both were in great need. They both needed to be converted. They both needed to be born again in order to be saved. No matter your background, you have a great need. And here's the other thing that it tells us. No matter how far away you are from God, he will go through great lengths to convert you. No matter how far away you are from God, he will go through great lengths links to convert you, to make you his own. We're going to look at three quick points today, quick for me. Three points. Number one, God miraculously comes after us. Secondly, God miraculously breaks the obstacles in our hearts. And thirdly, God miraculously unites us in Jesus. God miraculously comes after us God miraculously breaks obstacles in our hearts, and God miraculously unites us in Jesus. First of all, God miraculously comes after us. Let's look at the beginning of Acts chapter 10, if you have your Bible. If you have my Bible, it is on page 1421, verse 1 of chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the poor, and prayed continually to God. Now, what that means is God had already been working in Cornelius' heart. He was a Gentile, so outside of the covenant of God, but somehow, by being exposed to God's word and God's people, somewhere around the Jews, he saw something there that he, that he that he felt a tugging at his heart that there had to be some truth there. He was a devout man who feared God, the one and only true God. God had already been doing some working in his heart, and he had brought his household along. He gave alms. That means, uh, that means he was giving to those who were poor or disadvantaged. He gave generously to them. And then he prayed or was worshiping continually to God. Now, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, 
Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. There's a, some cheesy joke about a different kind of tanner than you would see at Myrtle Beach that I'm not going to say. Whose house is by the sea when the angel who spoke... Are you guys awake today? I'm just tired. I'm sorry. That's not up to par. I apologize for throwing that one out there. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now, already we'll stop here. What we're seeing is a miracle already at work because this guy, Cornelius, with the unfortunate name, who's a, he's a centurion, that means he was a leader. It was a very, in the Roman culture, it was a very highly respected position. The Roman army was the pride of the Roman Empire, the most powerful empire on the face of the earth, and the most powerful country that the world had ever seen. And he was a leader over 100 choice men in the Roman army. And he was a member, that, that particular uh, century of of, uh, of, of soldiers was a part of the, uh, uh, the, uh, the cohort, the Italian cohort, which is actually a very highly respected collection of centuries or groups of soldiers. He would have been a highly respected man in the Roman culture. And yet, somehow, somewhere, his man who had achieved great things, who had great power, he would have been, had some amount of wealth, He'd either bought his position in the army or had achieved wealth by being in the army, a man of wealth and standing in society. Somehow, whenever he looked around the Jewish people that they had conquered, whenever he looked at them and he heard them read from the scriptures, something stirred in his heart that said, there's something there that I need. There's something there that's true and real that I'm in need of. That guy, that God that they are talking about, which again, would have been an incredible thing to happen because the Romans believed in many gods. And the Jews devoutly believed in one true God. So it would have been, actually the, the Romans called the Jews, uh, they, they, they called them, they, they, they considered them as people who did, they called them atheists, actually, as the term that they use. That they, didn't be, they didn't think that the Jews believed in God because they only believed in one true God. And so it would have been outlandish for him to look at the Jews and to think that there was something there, but God was already at work in his heart. And here's the, the great hope that you should have, if you're a Christian here, for your family members and friends who don't know him. And here's the story of how you became a believer if you did. And if you're here and you're not a believer yet and you're checking this thing out, here's, where that, here's the great hope for all of us that the, even the desire in the bowels of our soul that tells us that, there, that there's some truth to the gospel, that there's some reality to the Bible, that there is that, that God that is, that is being taught about must be the one and only true God, even if you're not already fully there yet, that Jesus was God and he died for your sins and you needed him, that desire that starts to stir in your soul cannot get there apart from God placing the desire in your soul. It does not rely upon you to so profoundly share the gospel and so uh, 
magnanimously live the Christian life that your friends and neighbors look at you and say, man, there must be some reality there. It's not upon you and your ability to, to form the words clearly or to live a life perfectly to convince them of the truth of the gospel. That it only comes because we are all dead in our trespasses and sins. Whether you're Saul or you're Cornelius, you need God to breathe that idea into your very heart. If you are a believer today, you're a believer because he breathed the desire for him and your need for him into your soul. It does not rely upon you and it doesn't rely upon you to make that light come on in the people around you. Let me see that not only does God put the desire in your heart, but we see that God engineers the circumstances that bring us to him. Cornelius, we don't know what happened in his life to bring him to the point where he was a devout man and was praying and seeking God. But then God, he was, he was left in his town apart from any sort of gospel. He's a Gentile, so he's cut off from the covenant people of God. And yet God is so desirous, to God is so destined and decided that he will become his child that he went through amazing improbable, impossible circumstances and engineered them so that Cornelius would become his son and his household would be brought to him. If you're a believer today, think about your story. Some of you, it may have happened when you were young. Some of you, it it happened later on. Think about all the little things that happen in order to bring you to God, things that are meaningful to you whenever you think about your story but don't mean as much to me. Uh, something that somebody said to you, something that you saw that, that, that started to piece things together. Somebody said something to you at work and then you happened to turn on the radio and a song was on and it was about the same thing and it caused like, it started to get your attention, your eyes started to open. It caused, caused like lights to start going on inside you. God engineered the circumstances that would bring you to him. And for whoever you are and whatever your story is, those circumstances that he arranged were improbable and impossible apart from him arranging them together to bring you to himself. Cornelius and Paul and Saul, they, were, they, were, they stand out, right? Like Saul, was a light came from heaven and he fell on the ground and Jesus appeared to him and Cornelius, he's praying and an angel appears to him and tells him exactly where to send for Peter to come to him. And meanwhile, Peter has a vision that tells him you need to go to him. They're amazing circumstances, but they're no less amazing than what God did for you because However you came to life from being the dead person that you were before, you were just as dead as Saul was and you were just as dead as Cornelius was and you and I were without hope apart from him. And any desire that came in our heart and any circumstances that were arranged in order to bring us to him were orchestrated by him alone. And that should be a great encouragement to you if you're a believer here. You may be wondering, how am I ever gonna get to the finish line? I feel like he is a million miles away from me. You don't know, Randy, the things that I've done and the things that I've said. I feel like I've blown this whole thing. But if you weren't the one that put yourself in God's hand, if he puts you there, then who can take you out? Not even yourself. Yourself. 
not even the terrible things that you have done. He's got you there. He started it, and he will complete it in the end. God engineers the circumstances that bring us to him, and he overcomes the improbable and impossible odds. If you're a believer, then you're a believer because he came for you, just as he came for Saul and just as he came for Cornelius. And we should think about that and remember that and let that stir our hearts, stir our affections for him and stir our hearts and give us an assurance that he who began the good work in us will see through it to the end. I was sharing this with the uh, college students at Crew last night. Our theme verse was Hebrews uh, chapter one, verse, chapter, chapter 12, verses one and two. And last night we were looking at verse two where it says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. If you have faith in Christ this morning, even an inkling, it's there because he initiated that faith in your heart. And not only did he found that faith or initiate that faith there, but he will be the one who will perfect it or mature it or take it all the way to the end. Here, Romans chapter five, verse two, verse two, through him, that's through Jesus, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Ephesians 2, eight and nine, four, by grace, you have been saved through faith. If you are saved, our only hope for salvation is by grace. That's the unmerited, unlooked for, unearned merit or favor of God upon you and me. Saul did not earn it and Cornelius did not, did not earn it. They had nothing put to their account, crediting it, saying that they deserved anything. He looked upon them and by grace, he reached out to them through faith, and then listen to this, and this is not your own doing. The grace that has been given to you is unmerited. That's what grace means. Through Jesus, we access it by faith, and that comes not by our own doing. It is what? It is the gift of God. Why? Not a result of works. Why? So that no one may boast. If you are a believer here this morning, all of our stories, if we got up one after another, we wouldn't say, hey man, I'm so glad I became a Christian because I was so smart. I'm glad I, I'm glad I, like, I got it all together one day and that's why I became a Christian. Every single person, if you came up here and were honest, you would say, I became a believer because God came after me and saved me when I had nothing of my own credit. Your story would be about God and his grace to you and how faith was discovered in your heart one day and you don't know how it got there but it, it bloomed there like a flower on the top of, a, of an icy mountain. Out of nowhere it bloomed and grew in your soul and you would say, and God gets all the credits. 
God has organized and designed salvation in such a way that you and I would not be able to boast in it. We would not want to boast in it. We would only say it's by your grace and your goodness that I even have this faith that rests upon your work and not my work. It is all of you. And that's why when it gives us a picture of heaven, it says that we will stand before the almighty creator God and there will be a crowns upon our head and we will take those crowns off our head and cast them at his feet and say, whatever I have done, it is all to your credit because I would not have done it if you had not done the work in my heart. You get the credit from the beginning through the middle and all the way to the end. It is all of him so that no man may boast. And he would alone get all the glory and all the credit If you are a believer, it's because he came after you. And if you're sitting there this morning wondering why you're here, wondering what's going on, you're here because he is coming after you. It doesn't rest upon you. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31, for consider your calling, brothers. (laughs) I love this. I love this section. Again, I read this for the guys last night. I love this section of scripture because Paul, Paul is saying in really nice ways things that, don't, that, that are not compliments. He's saying, consider your calling, how you became a believer, my brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. He's saying, not many of you guys were very smart. Not many of you guys were here, that are sitting here or at the front of your class. Not many were powerful. (laughs) Not many were of noble birth. Uh, Kayla Moon, who's getting married in uh, like less than two weeks, uh, went and visited my childhood home last night for my mom to help her fit in her dress. And I said, I wasn't live. I want her to testify for you guys. Like, I have not lied or exaggerated about the where I came from, where I grew up in the country, and like, like goats outside my window, and uh, and and chickens in the yard, and like the, my background. Like, she's like, no, you have not lied. Like, she's like, I grew up in the cut too. I don't know what the cut is. I think it's a Virginia thing, but I grew up in the cut too. And I'm like, yeah, okay. I think I grew up in the cut. Then, like, that's where I'm. That's where I am from. I'm here to testify, not many of noble birth. When I was born, I didn't have a lot going for me. I grew up in either upper lower class or lower middle class out in the country in rural Horry County, South Carolina. I didn't bring really anything to the table. And the truth is, no matter what you ha- thought you had going for you, you didn't bring anything to the table either. That's part of becoming a believer is that you start to get awakened to see, man, all the stuff that I thought that I had going for me is really a bunch of junk. Not many were powerful, not many were noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are If you are foolish, if you are weak, if you are low and despised, that's great. 
Because that means you qualify for the unmerited favor of God. Why? So that no human being may boast in the presence of God. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. So Jesus came and died. We couldn't make him do that on our behalf, took the penalty that we had coming to us. And then if you are a believer, you are in him because God put you in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. God miraculously comes after us, but also God miraculously breaks obstacles in our hearts. Now, this is an interesting section here because uh, of the of kind of to picture what's going on. You really have to think about it and see what's going on to re- for it to really make sense. But God had to break down obstacles in Cornelius's heart. Cornelius was a good man who had done many good things. And if you were grading on a curve compared to the other Romans around him, the other Gentiles around him, he had come really far. He acknowledged that there was one almighty true God that was the God of the Jews, and he was trying to live a devout life dedicated to him. He was giving generously out of his money to those who were poor, He had rejected paganism. He was giving to the poor. He was a man who prayed. He was a man who was pious in his worship. And yet, we see what happens here is the angel appears to him and he he says, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial to God. Now, that's interesting. He's saying like, God has seen all the things that you have done. And he's acknowledging that. And that rose as a memorial for God. God looked upon that. But it wasn't enough. The, the same message, the angel comes and says, hey, God's seen all the good things that you have done and it's risen a memorial to him. It's the same message that he uses to say to him, yet you need something more and here's how to find that something more. Send for the man named Peter who will come and proclaim to you the gospel. He needs He's a good man who has done many good things, and yet he still needs to be converted. He still needs to be reborn. Oftentimes, we have to be saved from our own goodness as much as we have to be saved from our own bad things that we have done. Because many of us trust in the good things that we have done for us to be okay. And that own goodness, many of you kind of, let's just be honest, I do the same thing. We grade ourselves on a curve. I am far more, I have far more integrity than the people that are around me at work. Uh, I am, I give far more than the people who are, who are around me at work. I give far more to the poor than my family members. I go to church way more than anybody else. I, I read my Bible more than the other people in my community group. Like we're always comparing to the people around us and grading by a curve to make us think that we are okay. And that our own goodness is oftentimes a smokescreen that keeps us from seeing our greater need for God. 
And he'll do that for us before we're believers to think that we're okay by our own good. But he'll also come in after we're believers and make us, instead of relying upon the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, to rely upon our own good works to make us feel better about ourselves. And so we go up and down in our Christian life, directly connected to how well we think we're doing the things that we think matter. So if I sin, if I fall down in that sin that keeps pulling me down, then I feel bad about myself. And then I have to read the Bible X numbers of days or pray X number of hours to get me back up so I feel good about myself. And then I'm feeling good about myself and then something else happens and it crashes me down again. It could be something in my own heart or something that happens externally. And I'm up and down in my Christian life based upon my own work. But that's a smokescreen. Our identity and value is supposed to be based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf and not our own works. We're neither saved by our own good works nor are we kept saved by our own good works. It is from him from the beginning and of him all the way to the end. God had to break down obstacles in Cornelius' heart but he also had to break down obstacles in Peter's heart. It's, It's difficult for us to grasp just how outlandish and wrong it was for Peter in his mind to do what happens here. So what happens here is uh, verse nine on the next day as they were on their journey, journeying from Cornelius and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. It's about noontime and he became hungry and wanting something to eat, kind of like I am right now. But while, we were, but while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. What Peter sees in this sheet that's being let down in this vision are all the animals that the Jews were not allowed to eat according to ceremonial law. And to a Jew, the thought of eating, uh, of eating barbecue, bless their hearts, the, part of, the thought of eating barbecue would have been repulsive to them. The thought of actually killing one of those animals and eating that would, would have turned their stomach. The thought of eating shrimp scampi would have just turned their stomach. It was, de- it was detestable and deplorable to them. It'd be like if I told you, uh, hey, here's a cat and a dog. Go kill these and eat it. It would be disgusting to you and me because in our culture that is considered something that is wrong or unclean. But so not only was it something that was just culturally unacceptable, it was something that God had said that they were not supposed to do in under the old covenant. And Peter, even though this is interesting, I wonder what's going through Peter's mind. And maybe you have had this experience like I have, like, like, God tells him, go kill these animals and eat it. And Peter talks back to him and says, no, unless you forgot, God, I'm not supposed to do that and I'm not gonna do that. 
Sometimes God tells me to do something and I talk back to God like I think I know better. Like, God, don't you realize if I say this to this person, they're gonna think I'm an absolute idiot? Like, God, you need to know the way cultural and social norms work in our society. This is not gonna go well. And it doesn't change his mind. He said, I told you to do it, you go and do it. It would have been deplorable and detestable for Peter to think about this. It would not have just been uncomfortable for him to think about eating those things. And then later on, when the men arrive from uh, to Joppa and they come to meet Peter to the house and he goes with them and he goes into a Gentile house, which a Jew would never, ever do. You would be considered unclean if you walked into a dog Gentile's house. To walk into that Gentile's house and to proclaim the gospel to to them not only would have been uncomfortable, it it would have felt and been wrong to Peter. See, what had happened was the unmerited favor of God that he had showed upon the Jews had been perverted into a sense of superiority. God didn't choose Abraham because he was an awesome dude. He chose Abraham through unmerited favor on Abraham's part. If you were born a Jew, did you do anything to deserve God's favor upon you as God's covenant people? No, you were just born. That's all that you were. But they had subverted that and turned that into a sense of superiority. That happens to sometimes us, sadly, as believers. If you've been in church long enough, you've been a Christian long enough, and you've been living a Christian life long enough, you look at the people around you and the things that they do and the things that they say and the way that they live their life, and you look on them with a sense of superiority, as if you're better than them. I'm tempted to do the same thing myself and have done the same thing myself and probably will do it sometime in the future. But didn't you and I do anything to deserve the unmerited favor of God upon our lives? By the very definition, it's unmerited. So why would we look upon other people with a sense of superiority no matter what they're doing or who they are or what their lifestyle looks like? How dare we do that? God has to overcome the obstacles in our heart just as he had to overcome the obstacles in Peter's heart. It was outlandish. It's still outlandish for us today to think that God shows unmerited favor upon people who do not deserve it. Think about the worst person that you personally know. And think about the worst person that you've ever heard of that's still alive today. What if God wanted to save them? Sometimes we become angry when God saves people who've done many terrible things because we think like, how did they get away with this, God? And we forget all the things that we've gotten away with. And even if they got away with more, what in the world does it matter if we have the prize of being united to the one by whom and for whom we're created and they get the same thing? It should fill us with great joy and humility because the two sides of the gospel are you are far worse off than you ever thought you were, but in Christ you are far more loved than you ever dared to dream. 
And those two sides of the gospel bring us great humility. Man, I'm worse than I thought I was. But in Christ, I'm far more loved. That gives me a great more confidence than I ever had before based upon my own work and my own effort. It's all for him and to his glory. God miraculously comes after us. God miraculously breaks obstacles in our hearts. And then lastly, God miraculously unites us all. Cornelius was divided from God by his own sin, even though he was a good man. He was divided or separated from God. Cornelius was separated or divided from the people of God by his background and his ethnicity. Everything in his background, everything, in, everything regarding his ethnicity, everything regarding his vocation and the country that he uh, was a citizen of, everything divided him or separated him from the people of God. But at the same time, Peter was divided from the heart of God by his own prejudice. And yet, we see God, Cornelius, and Peter, or God, the Gentiles, and the Jews, we see them all united by the gospel of Jesus. God is bringing people from every nation, tribe, tongue, and background into his family for his glory. So that no one may boast, but he's collecting us and bringing us in from every single background, every single ethnicity, every single language, every single tongue, every single uh, cultural uh, idea, every single, every single even political background. He's bringing us all together into his kingdom for his glory. And in doing so, he's breaking down the dividing wall between us and him. He's breaking down the dividing wall between us and each other. For a, in a beautiful way. Let's look at this and we'll be done. Peter proclaimed the gospel to them. And then in verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, he was still preaching the gospel. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, the Jews, who had come with Peter, were amazed. It blew their mind because the gift of God, the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even, even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That's, that means that's a picture of them being brought, as they're baptized, being brought into the church or the covenant people of God. And then they asked him to remain for many days, for some days. The picture there is Peter came with prejudice in his heart to Cornelius. Cornelius. Cornelius was there, separated from God, and yet through the gospel and through the Holy Spirit being poured out upon them and filling them, they saw each other as brothers. And Peter stayed with Cornelius in the house of a Gentile who formerly he would not have even acknowledged as they passed in the street, much less gone into his house. When we're saved, we're not just miraculously converted, we're miraculously included 
into the body of Christ. He started it, he will carry it through, and he will complete it, and to the praise of his redounding glory, he is bringing us in from all nations and tribes and tongues and backgrounds, uniting us to himself and to each other, and in the end, because it's all of him from the beginning to the end, he gets all the praise and the glory. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.